Come with us now, if you dare, down a rickety staircase into a dank, dark basement. What awaits the Saturday Night Freak Show? <laughs> Rise and shine with Chuck Chuckers. It's Groundhog Day. Get up and shake that hog out there. Sweet. Oh, wait a second. Yeah, no, it feels no, like we wrong. just did this. It might have been. <laughs> oh, wow. It's repeating itself. <laughs> Welcome back, ladies and germs, to the Saturday Night Freak Show podcast. Every Saturday night, it happens on iTunes, Stitcher Radio, TuneIn Radio, and more places where you can find your finest podcasts out there. And also on our website, which is SaturdayNightFreakShow.blogspot.com. And on Facebook, at Facebook.com slash Saturday Night Freak Show. I'm Colin, and the rest of the the internet radio superstars (laughs) are... Brent... Jenny. Travis. And tonight we watched and we are about to evaluate a cult classic from the year 1974, directed by Brian De Palma, called The Phantom of the Paradise. How do you describe this movie to someone who has never seen it before? It is half uh, picture of Dorian Gray, half Faust, and half Phantom of the Opera. Rolled into a 1970s, like... <laughs> Kaleidoscope. This, yeah. History lesson of music. <clears throat> they actually set something up at the beginning of the movie where uh, Rod Serling from The Twilight Zone does, like, a voiceover to bring us into the movie. And he says something about the, the fictional band The Juicy Fruits, which is in the movie, like, inspired the 1970s nostalgia wave. Which is then that what we get for the rest of the movie is you kind of go through like all the great uh, rock uh, genres, all right? written by the great Paul Williams, who's known for uh, like all the Carpenters hits, and uh, he wrote um, the Rainbow Connection. Yeah, the Rainbow Connection for the Muppet movie. What an Oscar I mean, for that one! Yeah, dude, this guy's the fucking sound of the seventies. Wrote this fucking movie. You know, he's like still a big deal, kind of, sort of, now. I know that... uh, He was on The View. Yeah, and he was in uh, a Daft (laughs) Punk uh, album. Yeah. Like, he he did a song on Daft Punk. Oh, dude, he was on an episode of fucking Dexter's Laboratory. (laughs) Because, like, I I mean, dude, this is fucking... This is my number fucking one favorite movie of all goddamn time. What? Oh, yeah. Yeah? Oh, yeah, big time. This is oh, your favorite movie. This is my favorite of all fucking time. This Whoa. is the shit. Wow. Oh, wow. Yeah. oh, this is movies. Did beautiful. anyone see this coming? Did <laughs> I see this movie probably over fucking like 800 times? Yeah. I love this fucking movie. So wow. did Daft Punk. So, say, and that's why they look the when way I was they do. Watching Dexter's Laboratory, I get, I'm like, holy fuck, is that Swan? You know? <laughs> yeah. He was also in an episode of The Hardy Boys. Anybody? Anybody? Anybody remember The Hardy oh, Boys? Oh, no. Sean Cassidy and Parker Stevie. Okay. Uh, remember the books. <laughs> yeah. Remember the books. Well, he was a big deal back in the seventies. I mean, I think you know the those Carpenters songs. What was it uh, back where we belong? What's the name of that? We've damn only song? just begun. We've only just begun. Yeah. I mean, all the Carpenters mm-hmm. hits. Which is kind of strange that or not strange, but interesting that in this movie, Jessica Harper from Suspiria. This is her first movie, but oh, she yeah. plays like a Karen Carpenter type. Uh, singer. I mean, I yeah. I really got that vibe from the way that she was doing her songs in the set. Right. She reminded me of Cher, Debbie Harry. Oh yeah. Yeah. That's right, Cher, like especially in that 
that big solo number she had. Yeah. I was thinking like more Debbie Harry than Cher, but huh. yeah, maybe, maybe, right? That's that's what I that was just my opinion. There's uh this movie has a lot of musical numbers, but I don't know if you would call it a musical. Is it a musical? Uh well, yeah. I mean, it's it's not, not your traditional musical, but a traditional musical is what? Like you would have a story and then like a dance and song, you know, a number and then go back to story and then have another song and big like big performance and then keep doing that. But this they, they kind of they ease into it like it's almost seamless from story to song to dance. If you know what it feels like, it feels like more like a Baz Luhrmann type musical, you know, where it's like there's constantly song and music. Yeah, I yeah would that's disagree. why it's kind of like an opera, right? I I would yeah. disagree. I don't think it's a musical. I just think it's a movie based around performers. But every song but it, they sing is talking about what the characters are doing, right? And every, you know what I mean? It's trying like to meet the devil, you know, and he's yeah. trying to meet the devil. I mean, like it's all emotional states that they're having. Even but, when uh, I mean, it follows them the whole movie, really, right? Because when you first meet Winslow Leach and Swan is, uh, you know, li- hearing the first song Faust, you know, he's he's just talking about, you know, a dude wanting to, you know, get his, like, knowledge and blah, 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 you know, just like Faust. And then when, uh, when uh, Jessica Harper's, her first song is talking about... Okay, at that point in time, the Phantom is already going to work with Swan or whatever the hell. And then she sings, then Phoenix sings a song about how you don't need to, you know, work to uh, be special. You know, you can just do whatever just to survive. You don't need to make his own deal with the devil, right? I mean, that's the whole, like, meaning of this fucking movie, right? Is making deals. Like, if you're an independent artist, if you're an individual person, who's got great ideas, you'll sign a deal with the devil just to get recognition other than just kind of be happy with having those ideals, right? It's it's pretty much what you do as an artist in a weird way, right? Well, she says at some point that she wants the crowd. You know, she just wants the crowd again. He can give her the crowd. She has the her own built-in talent as a singer, <clears throat> but it needs this other character, the, I guess, the, the producer... You know, who's the devil type character to facilitate that, right? To get her on the stage that, you know. Yeah. <clears throat> What's so funny is, I mean, as many times as I've seen this movie, like, okay, you kind of, at first you kind of do see uh, Jessica Harper as this love interest. But the more you watch it and you listen to what she says, all she talks about is kind of a what a selfish celebrity says. I would do anything to sing this music. I'll do blah blah blah. You know, she really don't. She really doesn't care about Winslow Leach. Even when Winslow Leach just says, "Hey, I wrote it," she's like, "You can help me sing this," and she yeah. hugs him. It's like she's a fucking cold character in a weird way. Well, she's just trying to make her way, like get her just self-established any way she can. Is is that a good quality? No, no, that's what I'm saying. saying. He's assigning he's assigning this love story to her, right? Nobody will sing my music but Phoenix. She's the perfect one. He assigned like, and this movie does a good job at at, at showing 
the these individual just insights from the different characters mm-hmm. through Winslow's eyes. He does see this like woman. Remember when he's writing the music and he just sees like images of her smiling. Yeah. Or she don't give a fuck about wins. You know, she, she met him one night. Yeah. yeah. She I got upset by Philbin, yeah. the producer, <clears throat> trying to have her on the casting couch, and she, oh, leave me alone. Well, she's she does a- she has her own kind of like Faustinian deal. You know, she. I think they all do. I, right? Well, I think that's the, the you know kind of the point of the movie is. It's satirizing the, you know, the path to celebrity through rock music, right? All rock star. Everybody wants to be a rock star. And, like, this is the, you know, what we all imagine the path, you know, to being a rock star is. It's like, it's really not about, you know, okay, well, it's partially about, you know, the talent involved. But it's also about, like, all these other figures who manipulate and sell you as the product. Well, I like it's kind of what, you know, she, the that's what she's going through and it's what uh Winslow is going through in the more like, you know, arch uh, you know, dramatic supernatural sense. He literally signs a contract with the devil. Well, at the very I mean the movie starts off with Philbin talking about Annette, right? Yeah, you know, she was only 16 when I found her in that court in that church. That's a great choir. monologue too. Oh, it's great, yeah. dude! I gave her singing lessons, taught her how to dress, taught her who to fuck. <laughs> I was the one that made her the money grubbing hole that she was, and the, and the judge calls me a, me a disgrace, you know. And then you know he's like, "I want you to break her." Annette's finished. She's washed up. <laughs> Fucking, like, it's kind of funny how, yeah, they lay it out right there in that monologue. And then they show you Winslow. Well, even though Winslow is on a path of revenge for having his music stolen, kind of like De Palma's uh, comment on how a music industry would treat you, right? They, Like I say, they take that into... They take this beautiful fucking katana and then they're like, let's pop it up. Let's jazz it up. We can put a beat right. to this, you know? That's a, I love that scene too, that the, it kind of, you know, when he's sitting at the big record table yeah. and you're hearing like all these different bands audition Winslow's music. But I mean, you're going through like, I mean, they had what, like the Alabama or whatever, <laughs> yeah, the-, the Pointer Sisters or whatever, you know, the yeah. Motown. Uh, that real country twang. Yeah. <laughs> all the way to metal. And beef. 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 <laughs> beef. Garrett Graham, like, just kind of steals this movie when he shows up as beef. Because he's this, you know, metal. Uh, so he'd be like, I mean, what would be the equivalent, I guess, in the 70s? Like a oh, I think Bowie Meatloaf. Or something? Meatloaf? Yeah. I think beef is a direct, like, kind of mockery of, beef, of Meatloaf. I, I, I agree Beef with that. Meatloaf, yeah, yeah. But he looks like, he looks kind of like a uh, David Bowie. Yeah, like it's the glam Earth rocker. versus the spiders or Ziggy yeah. Stardust. Or, yeah, David kind Lee of Roth. Glam rocker. He wouldn't have even been around in, in 1970. Yeah, yes, but it, it's, it's the early. prefiguring the, the glam, you yeah. know, 80s or whatever, the late 70s and 80s. Yeah. So is, is, so is Winslow Leach, like, I mean, Swan frames him and it, and as he comes back disfigured, he like what he blows up the uh, the uh, paradise or blows up there when uh, the juicy fruits are singing. Their one their, car, they yeah. Puts the bottom of the truck. Well, let's if we can talk about that sequence for a moment. I mean, like you know, Brian De Palma, I guess, is not the guy that you normally think of as directing comedies. You know, mm-hmm. I mean, he was the modern master of suspense in the 1980s, and 
Uh, you know, a lot of the stuff that he did was said to be like rips on Hitchcock stuff. But before this movie, he had done at least four comedies. I want to say the guy started in comedies and then maybe made Sisters before this and then The Phantom of the Paradise. So it seems like a really odd fit. But that sequence in particular where we see uh, the beach bums are performing on the stage and the Phantom slips a uh, stick of dynamite into the trunk of like a prop car that's being wheeled out on the stage and De Palma uses a split screen. So you can actually see in real time, like what's happening on the stage and what's happening behind the stage. And they kind of merge together. To once again, explosion. once again, talking about what you're seeing and what's going on behind, you know, the, yeah. <laughs> the song is just this like fucking bullshit, you know, like beach boys type bullshit song. But then behind the screen or behind the uh, backstage, you got that girl, who is just bitching about kind of not being comfortable with being so exposed in a bikini or whatever. They're like, you fucking want money? You know, then just shut up and do it. You got the one uh, bandmate who's like addicted to something. It's like, I got to get out of here, man. (laughs) (laughs) I think that's really funny. I just thought that that used to, you know, I mean, doing that, showing both of those things, like, as I'm watching the movie now, it's like there's a lot of times when De Palma uses like a split screen technique, only not necessarily literally splitting the screen as he does in that one scene. But like when I think when Swan shows up, he's in a mirror, right? Like we're looking at or yeah. no, we're looking at him, but he's in like this mirrored room. And so we're seeing all the people, his harem, you know, these he's talking to there in the reflection. Right. He does that a couple times when uh, Swan goes to see Jessica Harper the Phoenix yeah. character. I think they do that as well. There's a bunch of times it seems like where they're bisecting the frame to show, you know, right. Two different, but you would think it would be hell on the, uh, the cinematographer, but I mean, he's always done that and he's always pulled it off. Like, well, he got caught in carry. Oh yeah. When the three boys are tuxedo shopping, I want to say, you they s- close the door. I want to say you see a camera, camera in that oh, scene. Yeah. That's- yeah. But he pulled it off in Scarface in that club, right? Yeah. <laughs> There's some mirrors, mirrors everywhere. <laughs> yeah. Entire club. And uh, like the split screen, the actual split screen in this reminded me of Snake Eyes when he did mm-hmm. it. And that was, you know, supposedly all real time or whatever. So he would split the screen a lot. But yeah. Like he, he did it in Passion, too. Did he? The, his newest one. Yeah. It's something very similar to this where there's a stage performance. And you see, like, you know, the killer, I forget actually what it was, but you see two things happening at the same time. Yeah. But that's cool when it can, like, you know, when it links up at yeah. the end, you know, it's like, oh, my God, you know. <clears throat> yeah. And it's like, a, it's a technique that you think is like, it feels like an old movie technique or something using split screen. We just don't do it that much anymore. We want to say Tarantino did it in Kill Bill. Oh, yeah. The first yeah. one. Yeah. With uh, the L Driver character. But, I mean, he's a big De Palma fan, so that was probably an homage to yeah. De Palma. Probably. Um, there's the movie Draft Day with, what's his face, uh, Kevin, no, not Kevin, what's his name? Superman's dead. Kevin Costner. Yeah. Kevin Costner. Thank you. Uh, like, the whole movie takes place just basically on cell phones, two, two characters talking to each other, and they always... They'll do a split screen, it'll come in, and it's very, like, it makes itself known that the split screen is there. Mm-hmm. Like, it, it wipes into the center of the screen. But then the characters 
will be like like they're like masked out or you know so that they can walk in front of the split screen sometimes and they'll have scenes where there're two characters on the phone and not in the same area but like they're looking at each other with uh, within the frame of the film like through the split screen no oh, huh it's really so it's, it's like a postmodern version of the technique yeah, yeah it's really interesting the way the way they do it and huh. i mean they weren't really there together but it looks like they're looking at each other while they're like having these scenes you yeah know. <clears throat> it's, it's cool that's the most recent thing i've seen it in well the movie itself this uh i don't know if we went over the basic plot but i mean being that it's like a phantom of the opera kind of thing we've got winslow is the guy who writes this music Swan is the producer who steals it and makes it his own and trying to, you know, he's this like, uh, he runs, what was it, Death Records? Yeah, it's, it's Death, Death Records. Records. But it's Swan Song Productions. It, it was supposed that to was be Swan got, Song, but then Led Zeppelin, that's Led Zeppelin's production company. Yeah, so, so they, they had to like superimpose. Oh. Uh, so that's why you see the really crappy epic. superimposed picture of birds and shit over everywhere that says yeah. Death Records. Because oh, they had like Swan the Song every, you know. Yeah. yeah, they had to mask that out all the time. Oh, oh, that's yeah. interesting. Yeah, oh, that's man. pretty crazy. But did you even notice it when you were watching it? No. They did that a bunch of times. It was like we had to cover up like, you know. Yeah. Huh. No. But well, I mean, we were. That's when we started talking about the split screen scene. Is when we were talking about how Winslow Leach starts bombing the place, and then like the first thing Swan can do is basically make a deal with him. You know, he can't. He's not gonna. He's not gonna fucking kill him or try to whatever. Because I mean, well, this is after he's got his teeth pulled out in a in a prison thing yeah. that Swan runs. So he's got these silver teeth. He's out for revenge. He gets his head stuck in a record press trying to destroy Plus a record the, company. The uh, Phantom, you know, yeah. angle. Phantom. <laughs> it looks like a fucking bird of death. That's just yeah. a weird oh, mask. That's you know awesome. that that figure? There was like a twelve inch figure. Uh uh-uh. uh Yeah. Oh. Goes where? for like nine hundred bucks. Or something. Dude, I almost what? bought it. Or wait, maybe that was the blade figure. The Phantom one might be like two hundred bucks. There was a uh, there was a party in California that made like thirty or fifty of these masks, and I was I was gonna bid on it on eBay for about three hundred bucks. What are they worth now? Wow. I have no idea. I just. <laughs> he does love this movie, dude. Oh, Ladies fuck, yeah. <laughs> but you don't have the you don't have the twelve I inch figure at the time. Oh man, I'm shocked. I don't think there is a twelve inch figure of Phantom of the Park. There is, yeah. I think I would have seen it. Yeah, it's, yeah? Uh, yeah. It was like a is limited it fan run. Made though, or? no? Yeah. It looks like it looks like the dude. It looks pretty good. I don't know what the company was, but I know on eBay it's expensive now. Crazy. There were very few of them, but I mean the look of it, right? He's got like a bird. On his head, you know, the mask is like a bird, which I guess ties into the whole idea of the swan song. Bird of prey a big, or some shit. Of, it's a, a swan at the end of the movie in the big production, right? It looked like a flam- flamingo to me, but it was probably a swan. Yeah, probably. And so he's got some kind of bird-ish mask. Uh, but, uh, you know, I, I was saying earlier, but I don't know if we caught it, that, uh, you know, the band Daft Punk, I mean, when you look at them and you look at the Phantom... It's like that's where they got their inspiration, right? They've yeah. they've admitted that they're they've this is like their favorite movie and they've seen it, you know, hundreds of times or whatever. And like yeah. I mean, it's guys in black with a silver <laughs> you know, right. silver heads. Yeah. <clears throat> and also we were talking that the Phantom uh design may be the uh the prototype for Darth Vader. Yeah, because Brian De Palma would be like talking to or supposedly as Brian De Palma claims that he would be talking to George Lucas about oh he's gonna have like a voice modulator box, I'll be all dressed in black leather with a cape and 
You know? I mean, it, when we first, when he's not seen it before he gets his costume, you hear, you know, there's a point of view shot of the Phantom creeping into the paradise. <laughs> oh, that's And you I hear said. him breathe, and his breathing sounds an awful lot like Darth Vader. Yeah. And this is 74, and, mm-hmm. you know, Star Wars wasn't until 77, and we know that, you know, these guys graduated together out of UCLA, and, you know, they were helping each other out on their movies because, you know... I want to say, like, either the editors or the production designer. I mean, they all, like, work together on American Graffiti and Carrie and, you know, yeah, all that stuff. So I don't think it's too far of a stretch to say, here's a guy. I mean, because the fact that he wears a voice box on his chest with lights <laughs> on it, you yeah. know, and yeah. a couple of years later, you know, that becomes iconic in the <laughs> in the design of Darth Vader. But. Right. And the idea that, uh, like... He wears the mask because when he takes it off, he's hideous underneath, and there's you know he's he's hiding scars and like so. You think that De Palma was telling Lucas about the character? I think Lucas was you know like they're all buddies and they're watching each other's movies, and Lucas is like, hey, that's pretty cool. That's like a and maybe it's stuck in his head. I can make it better. Can I I build on this? Yeah, it's my buddy. You know, I mean, you know that kind of thing. Could be. <clears throat> so speaking of the voice box, so yeah, Swan, you know, uh, Wizzle Leech basically makes his deal with the devil by, uh, you know, being able to write his music and get a voice again, but thinking that it's going to be for Swan. So he's willing to sign his life away, you know, as we were talking about. How, like everybody in this movie awesome makes their deal with the devil. Contracts. I love that contract. Yeah, the huge contract. <laughs> What were some of the stuff? I mean, it was it's for comedic effect. It was uh, it's for comedic effect, but I think Brian De Palma was really making statements about like, dude, this is the yeah. studio world. <laughs> oh, you yeah. know, this is the fucking. You know, you're going to be making a what deal with the mean? devil. All, item, all items excluded <laughs> shall be deemed included. That's to protect yeah. you. This contract Winslow. will only like end at the. Terminate. This this contract terminates with Swan. Yeah. Yeah. There it is. There it is. That's a shit. That's pretty good. I like the Swan character. Is you know, uh, we see in a flashback. It's not a flashback. It's a a tape, a recording. He records. That's like the picture of Dorian Gray thing to me, right? But that's cool because he has to like watch it. You have to watch. He sees himself in a reflection. It's kind of like again, you know, that mirror thing where you can get two things going on. Uh, But the reflection is like the devil. And in order to stay youthful forever, he has to watch the tape once a day and guard it. If the tape gets destroyed, then he goes, you know, whatever. I thought that was like a pretty cool uh, uh, setup because then the movie is teasing Swan's true nature through like every time you, you know, he's recording himself in all these conversations that he has. When he plays them back, we never see it, but you hear his voice is like all shriveled up and like, hey, you know, Winslow, yeah. you know, it's like yeah. it's it's teasing the idea that he's, you know, what's recorded is seeing the real him. Right. And we're actually seeing like the illusion, you know, the illusion of the frozen. Uh, yeah. The frozen in time guy. I also like the fact that, you know, I've been talking about this on a couple podcasts, but like the, the character of Swan is impressive to me before we meet him. Right. I mean, like, you know, because the Rod Serling opening narration talks about him, 
there's a buildup. They don't actually show him on camera for a while. You're always seeing, like, you know, he's hidden behind mirrors. Yeah, it's mirrors. like a Kaiser Sose type thing. Yeah. Or uh, what's Pulp Fiction? Who's the guy? Bing Rhames in Pulp Fiction. Oh, you don't see him. Yeah. What's uh, his name? Marcellus Wallace. Yeah. Marcellus Wallace. Yeah. The, the idea that, yeah, he's... You're building somebody up. The other characters are either talking about him. Right. Or, yeah, or to him, but you don't actually see him. Yeah. And it yeah. kind of makes, like, the character, even before you get to lay eyes on him, he's like this, you know, they're building a myth, you know? Yeah. I always think that's cool. Mm-hmm. And that's why John Wick, I think, works so well, too. You know? <laughs> well, you, I mean, I mean, it was kind of the same thing in Seven, when they're talking about John Doe. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. And you're like, who the fuck is going to play yeah. this guy? Like, is it going to be someone we know? Yeah. And then, you know, when they finally show up on screen, like, I know it was Seven... It was a big thing with Kevin Spacey. Like, I was blown away by that. Yeah. But, I mean... I don't know how they were able to... movies, I said, I don't think it was as big of a shock, but it still creates excitement for the viewer. Right. Yeah. And, like, it's it's interesting because with Seven, like, they were able to keep that quiet, who the actor is. Like, today you couldn't do that. Yeah, like... There's no way. Like, even with Phone Booth, I remember, like... And spoiler alert, it's like... It's Kiefer Sutherland because his name's in the credits. Yeah. Mm-hmm. You know, you is know. it before? Is it in the credits before the movie starts? Well, it was in the credits of the uh, trailer. Oh, okay. So I think that's where I saw it, like, in the at the, at the end credits when they show the list of everybody. But, I mean, but like, even, with, like, you know, with Twitter now, like, people are going to be tweeting from the set. It's, like, impossible to, like, have a surprise character, you know, that you... Right. Think, you know Batman's in the Suicide you know, Squad. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. <clears throat> yeah. Well, I like how De Palma goes back to his, uh, uh, you know, doing his Hitchcock shit when uh, Beef goes to take a shower. Yeah. Yeah. I mean. The psycho lift. Yeah. You get to do the shower scene. (laughs) But then, of course, he, you know, he has the phantom use a plunger. Well, you see it, not, you know, he he cuts the uh, the shower curtain with a knife, but then uses a plunger on his mouth. Yeah. Yeah. And tells him never Everyone to. Everyone who tries, die. Never sing my music again. <laughs> not here, not anywhere. And that's like. <laughs> then Beef leaving is like, to me, like the best fucking scene in the whole movie. You know, especially I think it, it's uh, Philbin's best. Uh, that's Swan's assistant. Yeah, that's his best part where he's like, where the hell you think you're going, Tinkerbell? <laughs> Cincinnati to see my mother. Well, did we say that Beef's character is like he's this macho, uh, like metal persona, but he's actually like this gay guy, like super gay, yeah, super gay, like behind the what's the you know the microphones are Ooh, Beef, yeah. yeah, total diva, yeah, yeah he's <laughs> definitely. Well, I mean, God, you when uh, when Swan locks him up in the in the wall after uh, stealing all of it when he finishes writing the katata, Winslow. Yeah. Oh, huh. And Swan walls him up, and he uh, he lets out that scream. I mean, then Beef goes, "What was that? <laughs> this place is possessed." It's like, I mean, that gives it away right there. I just wonder. That's one of those characters where, like, you wonder if that was written that way, or if the actor just decided to do it, or the director like gave him guidance Ooh. to do it. You know, it's like, was yeah, he sure written? As just a regular, you know, like, yeah. you know, metal singer, the meatloaf, 
Or and was it Garrett Graham who just said, what if I played him as gay? Like, you know, <laughs> like. When was, when was Rocky Horror Picture Show? <clears throat> That's a good question that you too? asked it. Because yeah. I wanted to tell you about that. Absolutely. That was 1975. Oh, it was. Yeah, I, I believe. Yeah. I was thinking I'm going to fact check this. <laughs> <Really? Yeah. laughs> Which, that, I mean, like that obviously had, one of those two characters was in the other, you know, filmmaker's head at the time. It had to be, right? I mean, one is, I mean, I know that the Rocky Horror version is, that's the performance persona. And the other one is, that's the the guy, you know, Beef is this, this super flamboyant uh, gay guy. But uh, <laughs> I don't know, you know, who, again, like the Lucas and the Darth Vader thing, like who had that idea first? Well, looking at it here, I was saying, you know, I was right that the uh, Rocky Horror Picture Show was 1975. But the Rocky Horror Show was the play. Oh. Uh, that was 1973. Okay. Uh, so it was in the zeitgeist probably at the yeah, time, but I don't yeah. know, you know. For sure. Which is your favorite uh, of the two? Well, okay. Well, oh, this that, is definitely my favorite of the two. I mean, I love Rocky Horror Picture Show, but. Cool. It's, I think that. The, Come on, guys. Come on. I think Beef is kind of a more interesting character because he's playing two. Yeah. Maybe it's just impressive as an actor because he's playing two different roles. You know, well, Rocky in the Rocky it's, Horror Show, Rocky Horror Picture Show, comedy also. Yeah, I mean it's a comedy, but it's the, a dark char- comedy. the characters aren't like making fun of themselves. Where I think Beef is a parody of I think just here. Remember what Winslow Leach is. Winslow Leach is a serious man writing a fucking cantata. You know, he's not about an image. He's not about you know whatever where beef is the complete opposite beef is a a character that barely has any musical talent that is just a performer he's the future of rock and roll yeah he's He's nothing but entertainment the coming of punk i guess there's no soul in there it's all visual i mean and that's what and that's what swan is that's what i mean that is what to me the whole like idea of this movie is De Palma is just saying this is what a, an industry does to art. Mm-hmm. Art is a beautiful thing that th- that this fucking just, you know, bullshit marketing fucking, you know. I mean, as soon as Beef gets killed, I like how Swan makes that comment, how he's like, have you ever seen people so entertained, you know, I mean, <laughs> an assassination a rock star every night or whatever. What does he say? Yeah. <laughs> Yeah, it's not every night a rock star gets fried on stage. He's like, these people, man. <laughs> you know? Yeah. It's, uh, so at that point, I mean, Swan's character just changes. And then he's just willing to, like, I mean, the very fucking next night, he's going to kill Phoenix on stage. I mean, the very next night. <laughs> get you married know? and kill her on stage at the same time, because that's great entertainment. Yeah. <clears throat> I mean, his whole, his whole goal here is to open this, like, paradise, right? Well, Which Rod Serling says this is Xanadu or whatever. It's a theater. The paradise. Well, it, but it does open, but when Winslow G, like, the same night Winslow dies, quote-unquote, the paradise opens. So they're not open. It's It's been opened. They're just, like, doing the whole recording of Faust, like, live recording of Faust, like a two-night event live recording of Faust or whatever. Well, and it's kind of, is it a revamping of it, too? Yeah, because that's what I, mean, I was thinking. The fact that they're getting rid of the uh, the juicy fruits. It's just, I mean, that's just the idea that, I mean, they just took 
Winslow's music as an inspiration just to fucking go off of. And, you know, it's almost like there's enough, uh, there's enough in there for them to rip off that's just, uh, good enough. You know, they don't give a shit. Yeah. Well, it's like, <clears throat> uh, Swan, I guess, you know, if we're, if we're to assume that, you know, like the movie says, he's been around since like the 50s or whatever, right? That he's just, he's constantly trying to reinvent himself. I suppose that's one of those things that you have to do if you're immortal, right? In order to stay current and with it, you have to reinvent yourself every uh, generation. And so that's why I think he's flushing out, you know, like he made the Juicy Fruits and he made this person Annette, you know, whoever, you know, we never see her. Yeah. But then it's like, you know, we have to, you know, be current, stay with the times. So we're going to bring in the new thing. But, we, you know, it's like he's in the position to be you know, a tastemaker, he determines what the next thing is going to be, you know? Right. And in his, you know, it's going to be beef, I guess. Right. Yeah. You know, it's going to be like, that's the future sound that we're going to bring in. The, the irony of it is of course the phantom is saying, you know, like, you know, well, Winslow originally wants to sing his own music. Uh, but you know, Swan, obviously he's not going to have any part of that. He's like, I'm just going to steal it. I'm going to give it to, you know, the juicy fruits, right. They're going to do it. <clears throat> and then once Winslow's mangled and can't, you know, perform, then he determines that Phoenix is the one who has the voice. So it becomes that kind of Phantom of the Opera thing where he's going to teach the young ingenue to sing his music, you know, and she's going to be his. Well, that's also just what Swan is telling him. So he'll finish yeah, writing right. it because then <laughs> right. he's like, eh, you know, well, I like how he goes. Uh, when they, in that same scene where he listens to the different uh, musicians play the one song, how he tells uh, Swan tells Philbin, he's like, you know, you don't want, you know, Phoenix opening the, you know, the katana or whatever. He's like, uh, Phoenix, uh, Phoenix is uh, perfect. You know how I abhor perfection in anyone but myself. <laughs> you know, <laughs> so just the fucking spite. You know, yeah. Like Winslow Leach and everything, he's gonna have somebody else. I like even when he sees beef, he says, Here's something I think he'll like. You know, I mean, he's really just being a fucking dick. It's crazy. Yeah. Yeah. He just does it like as often as, I mean, that defines the character, I guess, right? He's just a double or backstabbing double crosser. I think that's why I like Paul Williams playing the part in some ways because he's got this big toothy grin you know and he's always like he <laughs> comes off as completely insincere but friendly you know yeah he's like, like salesman. yeah yeah he's disarmingly friendly especially <laughs> in that first scene between you know where uh winslow finally you know, the phantom finally gets to confront him i think it's in like a hallway there's mirrors there also mm-hmm. but you know he catches him and he's gonna you know do him bodily harm and uh, you know, Swan's able to talk his way out of it by promising all these things. <clears throat> it's like, it's just kind of, I don't know. I like the way that he does it. I think he's like a perfect fit for that part. The way they introduced him into this film, I kind of like, when I first saw him, I thought, should I, I mean, maybe yeah. you knew who he was. I, I did not know who Paul William what Paul Williams was, but I thought, like, am I supposed to know who this is? Is this like a cameo? Is it like a David Bowie yeah, type? Exactly. Like, like when David Bowie's in a movie, like, yeah. am I supposed to know? Is he a famous musician? But I, I mean, I kept waiting to see what his name was at the end credits, and I, I haven't heard of him before. Yeah, I thought that too. Absolutely, because it seems like a grand entrance. Yeah, you 
Yeah. And that's, I guess, that's... But that's that anticipation we were talking talking about, Swan, Swan, Swan. Yeah, Swan, whenever he comes around, people just say his fucking name over and over and over. Well, a lot of times, like we were talking about, when they build up that anticipation, it does end up being someone, a famous actor like Kevin Spacey or... I want to say he's top building this. He's the first guy. Like, it was like Paul Williams and William Finley in Brian DePaul's Phantom of the Paradise. So, I mean, he was a big enough name at the time, but it's I like, just what? I don't know anything else he's been in. I don't personally. Well, I think, it was, I think it was for the music. Though, oh, okay. Because uh, he was known oh, for the music. Okay. That's why it's like, what made him, or who thought that it was a good idea, or that this guy had any ability to, like, be an actor? Yeah. Well, know? every, I think every, every musician, I think every musician wants to act, every actor wants to be a musician, right? Once you make enough money and, and enough success in one area, you know, you think you could branch out. As Do you know a, if he did anything before this? I'm not sure if before this, maybe some TV stuff, maybe? Not necessarily sure. It takes a special kind of person to, you know, I mean, he's an entertainer, and he, if, if he's comfortable being up on stage entertaining people with music, then... Why not do it, you know, in, in the movies? Yeah, but I still think it takes like, uh, I mean, like you can do, I mean, I, I, I appreciate that the desire is there, right? I'm an entertainer. I get up in front of people anyway. I'm in front of cameras doing music videos or concerts and that like, I want to be an actor, but like, I think he's actually got the goods to, you know, be an actor, which yeah. that I think is maybe harder to find, but yeah. <clears throat> At some points, I thought I recognized him, but I couldn't tell if maybe that was because he looked like someone I knew, or if it's because I had actually seen him in something else. He was in the Battle for the Planet of the Apes. <laughs> yeah, before this, for sure, as Virgil. That's for sure. I forgot about that. And a couple other movies prior to this. He's got four credits before it, and then of course he's in a bunch of stuff afterwards. But it's like, including Smokey and the Bandit. Whoa. He was a little Enos. Yeah. Uh. All right, so the uh, wait, are we getting toward the the climax? Of well, this? there's something before that, right? When when he kills Beef, he sends Phoenix well, out to sing because Philbin's like, you know, that freak killed you know Beef to hear you sing. So you know, get out there and it's the equivalent of the dropping the chandelier or the chandelier scene in Phantom of the Opera, right? There's got to be the Phantom engineer. Something he warned the diva. And then he drops the chandelier. In this case, he fires a neon lightning bolt, <laughs> which is that's just cool. I killed him with a lightning bolt kind of thing on stage. That yeah. stage production is also kind of cool uh, to me because, again, you know, I'm coming to this like, it looks like as German, a uh, German expression. It's yeah. like the cabinet of Dr. Caligari. Yeah. But it's also, I think, in rock, it's like this is the era of the shock rocker, right? It's Alice Cooper... And it's uh, Kiss. The makeup is, you know, they're cutting people up in the audience. Well, what yeah. it looks like, that was throwing cool. their body parts into this thing where they build the character of Beef. Yeah. Which also brings that Rocky Horror comparison because they're trying to make a, per- a man like Rocky Horror was. So you've got that in both of those musical <laughs> yeah. slash horror movies. But I guess that was, you know, what I wanted to talk about was just the, the idea that, you know, it's like the... Rocky horror and this are like, you know, they're they're circling the horror genre, you know? Right. It's like, that's what kind of, not so much in their music, but just in the idea. It's like, in a Rocky horror's case, you're doing like a parody 
or of all the 1950s horror movies, kind of. And this is doing horror by way of just, I think it's themes, right? Selling your soul. The well, look at the, the music. It's, but it's all in a stage show. It's not necessarily in the movie itself. No, I mean, the, it's the all idea that you have to sell show. your soul to the devil. Oh. It's the, you know, the, the look at, um, at, at the music industry, you know? It's yeah. Like, here's the dark side of the music industry. Yeah. But I do like that stage show. <laughs> the undeads, I think they're called. It's the same guy. Yeah, Do we say that fruit, too? Yeah, the juicy fruits, <laughs> yeah. the beach oh, yeah. bombs, no, I, the undeads. Yeah, I said that. <laughs> they just switch out who the lead singer is yeah. or whatever. <laughs> no, yeah. it's definitely the three same guys just playing different bands. Yeah. That's pretty cool. This movie utilizes a lot of crazy cheap background. I mean, this is I mean, this is pretty this is a pretty independent movie. You know, it's a pretty low budget production, right? Just get a stage, a theater. Yeah. You go to town. Because you got the scene where Philbin meets Winslow Leach. Like I said, one side, I mean, it looks like a fucking closet or something. And one side of the wall is just uh, hung up uh, like phones. Like, 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 yeah, flyers or phone book pages. But they're different colors to give it some kind of. Well, there's something like a revolving, what are they called? Like a. Like a kaleidoscope, light, or like, something? yeah, like, like what a do you light. Call it? Uh, yeah. I know what you're talking about. It's yeah, the, the, uh, the thing, rotator the things. It, it, zoetrope? No, that's the thing you look into. Like, it's uh, like a carousel. Yeah, let's light. just call it a light carousel. <laughs> <laughs> We're gonna do that. <laughs> but and then it even looks like it's just. I mean, the the paper just looks like it's hanging. And when like Winslow Leach get mad at uh, gets mad at Philbin, and he like. Pushes up against the wall. I mean, they just have this sound effect of glass going. <laughs> yeah, you can tell that there's. Yeah, I mean, he's yeah. just like pushed into the paper. Uh, when Winslow Leach gets framed, I mean, it's a black screen with a big American flag, a judge, and a whatever. And Winslow Leach just, you know, he just goes, life! And then Winslow <laughs> Leach just turns around to the camera and goes, but I'm innocent! Swan stole my music and framed me! But it's just, I mean, it's a black background with an American flag. It's like, that's crazy! Yeah, You yeah. know, there, there's your court scene. We don't have fucking any money for a court scene of any kind. I think I've so seen think them done like that cool. in like the Twilight Zone or something. Didn't they used to do stuff like that where you got a guy on a yeah. bench and you shoot really low and yeah, but that's all sci-fi, you know. And I think <laughs> even like Terry Gilliam, he was doing that, or you know, many years later. But in uh, Fear and Loathing, when they're having kind of like the the uh, nightmare of what's going to happen to them if you know they because they're with Christina Ricci and she's underage, but they have you know like the the judge and jury and executioner. And it's all like in this like black room, mm-hmm. same thing, you know, mm. and they just got the powdered wig guys there and like maybe cell bars that come up. And yeah. That's, like, that's Cause it's it. really, what do you really need to imply? You know I mean? Yeah. You do it through like shadow or through just having a couple of props is like, yeah. You know, I mean, it's not a, a long courtroom scene in this. It's just the idea oh, that it's he's a very, in, but it's a very like weird alternative way of doing it. Right. I mean, it's a very kind of it's impressionistic. Yeah. Right? It's like the, you know, I was going to say like yeah. the German expressionism or whatever, but it's, <laughs> it's different than that. It's impressionistic. You're trying to like, here's a shadow of bars or whatever. And you're supposed to, you know, yeah. draw out of that jail crime punishment, yeah. you know, like all from that one, like a shadow on the wall. Right. Yeah, you, know? you have an American flag, a judge, you know, the, all the court says, no, do, 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 do. yeah, it's creative filmmaking for sure. I mean, yeah. it keeps the budget down. I mean, who knows if they even had a longer scene written. I mean, it's just, you know, 
And I think like you were saying earlier, uh, with the production design, I mean, a lot of that, there was a guy named uh, Jack Fisk. I bring him up only because I think he was also did Badlands that we did here on the Freak Show. Oh, yeah. But he's married to Sissy Spacek, I think, at this time. But he did a number of other uh, film. I mean, to his credit, I mean, that's good production design when you're like, what can we do? We'll put up a bunch of flyers along this wall. Otherwise, it'd look like an empty set. You know, it's like, boom. Right. There you go. Well, I just yeah. think that is filmmaking. Instead of just yeah. thinking, oh, man, we can't make it, like, super realistic. Let's just not do it. It's like, fuck it. No, just let's. Let's just give something that gives people the images of these. I mean, that's fucking filmmaking, you know? Yeah. Brilliant. But, so, uh... Well, after the... After Beef's electrocution, uh... He Swan- lures Phoenix up to the roof and makes that to cool... The, st- to Swanage? No. Oh, before No, that. the roof. It makes that cool... That really cool statement about how, well, like... does. That's what they want, Phoenix. You know, that's all I ever want. And she's like, that's all I want. You know, I want that. And he's like... But I want more, so much more. I thought that's a cool little speech. Yeah. Cause, but but once again, like I said, she don't give a fuck about Winslow fucking Leech. You know, she just don't. She yeah, wants but at that point. It's like I don't know if I blame her, right? Because she met her, she met Winslow, uh, you know, at this audition process, and he said, "I wrote this the song." And there's like a connection you feel between them. So it's like, okay. Well, it's at Winslow's mind, Yeah, right? but we stay with him, so he's building up the image of he's in love with Phoenix sure. and her voice. But she, like, met him once, and then he, according to the newspapers, died. he was crazy, you know, tried to kill people, tried to blow stuff up, died. And then when he does show up, he's a burned, scarred, insane, you know, freak yeah. wearing a, a, a big metal helmet. Yeah. Which... I love the way that they shoot it. You know the the idea that he's always always looking out like one eye. Yeah, because he can't look out that other eye. Yeah, it no. doesn't work. It's like <laughs> well, his eyes all fucked. We find well, that yeah, too. No, but I mean, yeah, just for the actor. Yeah. But he's got this. Uh, the actor William Finley has the ability. He's one of these guys who has like his his Irish his iris seems smaller. Small enough that when he opens his uh, eyelids, there's a lot of oh, white space. White. Yeah, I think a lot it. of it is because he has it painted black. Because I was thinking the same thing, and I think it makes it pop more yeah. that he has the black paint it around looks it. Freakish. But he is like, awesome. like completely bulging his eye every time he's on camera, yeah. and it, it literally looks like it's bulging out of his head. Because yeah. I thought the same. Well, thing. Well, even at the end, yeah. when not to ruin anything, but he dies at the end, and when he collapses in his death scene, there's like a side angle on him, and like just looking at the. The physiology of his eye, it looks like it's protruding out of his Maybe head. Maybe he know just I mean? has like bug eyes. Like, the actual eyes. guy has I bug mean, eyes. Yeah, yeah, he might, but I think, like, having that black paint around it, for sure, like, just emphasized it more. Yeah. Oh, yeah. 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 I mean, it's a look. That and the silver teeth and, you know, mm-hmm. the black uh, oh, lipstick. Yeah. And he, at one point, sounded like uh, Batman, because he said something, and it had that, you know, like, <laughs> <laughs> this city just proved. <laughs> yeah. More. <laughs> That's funny. Yeah, it's, it's that mask is, you know, like the Birdman mask is kind of like that. You mm-hmm. know? Like it has it has uh, elements of it. Yeah. And the beak, the big beak. But I, <laughs> I was even thinking that the his eye might still be like a prosthetic that he looks through. Because it was just so, and probably not, but it, it's just, it's so like... Are oh, you saying the act, his actual eye? Mm-hmm. I thought it was yeah. The, uh, oh yeah. wow, yeah. Just and I, I'm sure I'm wrong, but I mean it was 
it's so like just it's awkward it's like it's not in the right place and i think it's because the mask is like shifted yeah to one half of his face yeah so like you know it feels like it like his eyes shouldn't be there but like i don't know how they do it it, it makes it look like it's it's just yeah like it's just like intense thinking. it's it's really intense <laughs> and it almost it also feels like his face comes like way out because the black makeup goes all along his nose. Yeah, it goes and, all the way along his nose. And you can only... I mean, you can see his nose through the eyepiece of the mask, and it's just... It doesn't seem na- like a natural... Like a human face. Mm-hmm. It's like, oh, it's not right. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> but it's cool. It's very cool. So then uh, Phoenix fucks Swan, because she's a goddamn whore, just Which, to be a celebrity. <laughs> yep. uh, Winslow, unfortunately, has to witness this. He screams out in a phantom rage. <laughs> I'm a little disappointed that she did that. Thought she was going to be above that, but she wasn't. I know this character. Like I don't know. As many times as I've seen this, it's like fuck. I hate this character. <laughs> like, well, it's she, also, she pisses she, me she, off. She says she just wants to sing. She doesn't want to do any of that stuff. You know, no. when she first does the audition, and then she gets her big break, and she's like, "I'll do anything." Oh, fuck you want. it. But I'll I guess do that's the point, right? You want. Yeah, that's think, the whole point. It's the yeah. show. How cele- the celebrity, like the addiction to celebrity, will make anybody will do anything for just a little bit of. I mean, that's the whole thing. You sign your soul to the devil just for a little, you know, whatever moments of like happiness or something. Yeah, that's for the fame, for the, the ad- adulation of the crowd. That's the thing that. Uh... Like even the girls in the beginning, they're like, you know, you could think of it like American Idol almost. It's like. They they haven't even seen Swan. You know, these girls are getting fucked by Swan's assistant. Like, <laughs> and they've been there for days, like, or weeks. And they're like, mm. I've been here for weeks. I haven't even seen Swan yet. You know, they're just all, like, laying there in the bed. And it's it's kind of like, I don't know. I'm sure that there's a metaphor in there. Just for, the cast, yeah. For the industry, like. The casting couch. Yeah, the casting couch, the idea mm-hmm. that, you know, like. I mean, I don't want to get into anything with American Idol, but the idea that, that, like, like there's a lot, like, the industry has a lot more to benefit than you do as a mm-hmm. performer yeah. from you. For sure. Right, yeah. Basically. <laughs> yeah. Well, I like how, because, I mean, once again, we said, you know, Swan didn't give a shit about Phoenix until... Uh, Winslow Leach basically forced her out on stage by killing Beef, and then as soon as he saw the audience reaction, he's just like, "You're gonna be a very." I love that line. Like, I like your name, so we don't have to change it. <laughs> well, I kinda, don't you think genius. like when? Because when she auditioned, and you know, Swan was, Swan was there, and then Winslow was there standing right next to him, and like she wasn't gonna sing, and then. Uh, Winslow, you know, tapped him on the shoulder, and he and Swan made her sing. You don't think that he chose to make her sing because he knew that he could use it as leverage over well, Winslow? He, yeah, yeah. Swan knew that if he made Phoenix like look Even like the main singer, that Swan would finish the katata. But Swan didn't ever. That's why Swan hired Beef is because he didn't plan on even he was just letting Winslow think that Swan that Phoenix was gonna fucking birds that that, that Phoenix was gonna be 
like the main uh, the solo singer or whatever. But he but just hired to be a background singer. Yeah, but then when Swan saw how many people reacted to her singing after Beef died, then he's like, "Oh shit, fuck it." You know, right. Winslow Leach was right. You know, <laughs> like, you know, I got a gold mine with this chick. You know, then I like how when almost getting back to where we were at uh, at the top of the Swan Edge, fucking Winslow Leach watching his girl get fucked by the devil. <laughs> and he tries to kill himself and uh swan you know comes up there pulls the fucking knife out i've always liked that he was laying there unconscious until dude pulls the knife out then he just comes back to life he's like you didn't read your contract close enough the whole you terminate with swan mm-hmm. yeah i like when leech tries to kill him and it does, the knife yeah. doesn't kill him. He's like, I'm under contract, too. It's like, oh! Yeah. <laughs> cool lightning sound. But then I like how he said, we'll, hold, we'll need a whole new lo- string of love songs for Phoenix. You know, I mean, he's still going to keep... Uh, he's, yeah, he's still going to hold him to his contract. Yeah. Right? I mean, you're going to be working on this forever. And then it, it, it ends in a, a big performance at the uh, Paradise in the following evening. Where Phoenix is going to go on stage and do... She's headlining. Yeah. And uh, it's like, that's where all the... I mean, that just that whole scene, the way that it's shot, is just like madness. It seems well, like it feels really wild. They you know? shot it basically live. They it feels like They it. didn't tell people what to do, really. Yeah. It's like the dancers knew what they were doing. I mean, those audience members, they were still like extras from... Like earlier show, like earlier show or or whatever, but uh, they didn't like those guys that were like the really like freaked out guys on LSD that were reacting to most of what Phoenix and Winslow Leach were doing, but they'd be like clapping and like taking their shirts off. It's like those guys didn't have any direction necessarily. Mm. They wanted it to feel like a real show. It does. They they wanted it to be chaotic. and uh, It really does. I mean, like, it just feels like... And we actually get to see the camera guys, like, in the shot because they're supposed to be covering it. It just gives you this, like, this is actually happening and we're just shooting it. Yeah. Well, there's one particular dancer that I noticed, like, towards the end, and I don't want to give away the end if we're not finish talking about the scene so i'll I'll pause if but like you know they uh they do the wedding and the guy that was performing the ceremony he gets shot and then um well hold on let's let's pause for a second and talk about when like um swan takes off his mask yeah he's wearing a mask to the ceremony for some reason other than I'm underneath and I'm a hideous person. Well, it's because uh, Winslow has burned the contract, you know, the That's what I was going to ask was, did he destroy it? Yeah. Yeah, So he's mortal. Or whatever. Okay. uh, That's why he was wearing the mask. That's what I thought. uh, He looks like a probably 80-year-old that's supposed to be like... That's had like a really bad plastic (laughs) surgery job, like fresh. Yeah. It's fresh. veins and bloody and... Yeah. yeah. Why is so that? So he's unmasked before the entire crowd. I don't know because they were talking about. I guess it's, I don't know, just like Dorian Gray or something. His face melted with the. Yeah. I don't know. yeah. Maybe because the image was destroyed. So his, the so his ugliness image was within him yeah. comes out. Like physically that. in the. Yeah. But what I was going to say about the crowd is like, 
Winslow goes up to Swan, stabs him once, and then he's stabbed at least two other times, maybe more, by just other members of the chorus, because they think it's just part of the act. So they're like, they're all into it, and they stab him. And then, I don't know how Winslow gets stabbed, I don't remember Well, he had been stabbed uh, prior to the stab. It opened up. When he killed killed him. So it's like if Swan dies, then the contract is broken, and then the wound that... Yeah, because he says that on the the roof, that 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 wound will open up if anything happens to me, and you'll bleed out. Well, that makes sense. Well, then, you know, Winslow's, like, crawling... To the, like, the runway of the stage. Like, he's crawling forward. I think he's crawling to Phoenix. Yeah, he is. He's crawling towards her. But, but then there's she this cares. One. That's what fucking makes me crazy. Why She's like, Winslow. Oh, my God, Winslow. It's like, bitch. Oh, he's a suffering. I like, fucked him over last night. <laughs> I don't think she she believed it was him. You don't think so? I don't think so. The Up first on the time, roof, you yeah. Mean? All he did was take his mask off, and then when he just de- dying, his mask is up. Like I said, I like Phoenix. Her, her <laughs> meal. She just saw her meal ticket get stabbed to death. I mean, so yeah. then she's like, oh, "Yeah, I don't think she realized it was him on the roof, but that's just what I took away from it." But like anyway, when he's crawling towards Phoenix, there's this one guy from the chorus just crawling next to him. And oh, yeah? He, yeah, like this, I was focusing more, like, kind of on both of them. And then at the end, when he's finally dead and Phoenix goes and holds his dead body, like, this guy stands up and just kind of, like, looks around. Like, is this the end of the act? And then he just starts dancing. <laughs> <laughs> he does. Like, it, <laughs> Well, they're, they're death worshippers at that point, mainly. Entertainment is just like, a fucking He just thought empty, it was part uh, of the fucking act. <laughs> I, I think that's what. See, I don't even think that because Beef died, so they were all into that. But they think they, it's these part are of death, the show. but these are well, but well, they still, yeah, they're still yeah. killing people for real, yeah, regardless yeah. if it's yeah. part of the fucking show. It doesn't matter if it's music and dancing or singing or people dying. It's all, it's all bullshit. Yeah. You know? Well, I mean, with them stabbing fucking uh, Swan, like yeah. they have to be all they, fucked they up. They took part in it. They took part in the killing. Like they yeah. did, because I mean, it's the Coliseum. Winslow only stabbed him once, and then it was just like other people following his lead and doing the same thing. Yeah. Yeah. And then there's that other uh, blonde yeah. guy that does the same thing. He's like, oh, is this it? All right, let's dance. I'm going to take my shirt off. Uh, yeah, I think that's a hell of a time. It was funny. Bittersweet. Because Bittersweet. after, I mean, this was even before <laughs> the time of bands like like Deicide and like real black metal that like, that's what you talk about is fucking death and murder and like, you know, anti, you know, bullshit. Yeah. And, uh. These guys were showing an audience that was like super into it. The super violence, right? Like of, of uh, Clockwork Orange, right? The super appreciation. So I'm saying, man, hippie, people think hippy dippy fucking shit's supposed to be all peaceful. It's not. It's all about just chaos. Yeah, Anarchy. it's about, yeah. And that gave rise to punk, right? That's where that came from. I but you know, like well, the leftovers are the evolution of that movie. The angst, the well, angst but, from but the hippie. Punk, yeah. Well, punk was a corporate thing. Most punk movie. bands were put together by big corporations. Yeah. It's all about dissent, man. It's all about creating dissent in music. That's yeah. what, I mean, that's what Swan did. Swan took beautiful music, created death out of it. Death you know? records. Death records. Yeah. <laughs> you know? Yeah. 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 Trash. Selling trash. <laughs> well, before we get to wrap-ups on the Phantom of the Paradise, we do have mailbag. 
Igor, are you around? Are you shirking your duty? Masters! Masters, the mail! I've got the mail. So many letters. Our followers are rising. Rising. All right, thanks, Igor. Uh, this week's mailbag comes from Twitter. By the way, we're on Twitter. Sat Freak Show. It's our handle. Uh, G Money. Oh boy. Says, all right, could be something. Yeah, G Money asks us, or he says, uh, I love the show. Keep it up. Travis sounds like Will Arnett. Oh. Crazy. Oh. Michael. <laughs> that's Say a, that's <laughs> Michael. Say I made a huge mistake. Yeah. <laughs> uh, he also. <laughs> Will you start saying at least once every podcast? <laughs> <laughs> he also asks, what are your favorite. Insect flicks. Brett. Oh, uh, arachnophobia. Jenny. Oh, Jesus. Um, uh, can I pass and come back? No. Insect flicks. No. Favorite insect movie. G Money wants to know. A bug's life. Travis. I panicked. I don't know. I was going to say, a bug movie, man. Hmm. Closest I could come is Aliens, maybe. That's a bugger uh, bug. It's a bug movie. Bugger yeah, bugs. yeah, yeah. <laughs> All right. Well, I'm going to go with arachnophobia. Not because Brent said it, but I don't like spiders. I didn't like eight legged freaks, but arachnophobia. <laughs> Saw it in the theater and thought. What about I, the flies? So that crawling movie? on me. Wait, what, <laughs> so? what about uh, Starship Troopers? With that he says that's his favorite. Starship oh, Troopers, it? Ticks, oh, They ooh. Nest, and Arachnid. Nice. Starship Troopers would qualify, but I was looking for like. I'm going from changing my answer to the fly. The fly. <laughs> yeah, because I was thinking like eight legged freaks or something like that, but arachnophobia is yeah. pretty terrifying. Yeah. Because everything else is slugs. I don't like slugs either. Oh, yeah. yeah. Slugs. Slugs. Frogs. Are slugs insects? Came back. No, but no. that's why. Our rabbits? Doesn't count. Oh, yeah. rabbits. <laughs> <laughs> All right, so Phantom of the Paradise. <laughs> uh, wrap up starts with Brent. It does. Um, yeah. Uh, Phantom of the Paradise. So, like, going into this film, I knew nothing about it. Um, Question. Did you know it was a musical? I did, only okay. based on a co-worker had told me uh, earlier. Not you. <laughs> but, uh, like, you know, I mean, like, it, it, it felt like... It's it's interesting because it's a very fast paced film for the most part, uh, and it's also it's very non traditional filmmaking, extremely non traditional. Even for a musical, it's like nothing that you've really experienced before. It's like whoa, okay, so well, this is ha- okay. I guess we're just gonna have to go with it because this is happening. You know, I mean, like if you're waiting for those moments that you get from uh, uh, from either a musical or from uh, your more traditional f- storytelling filmmaking, um, you're not going to get it in this movie, which I, I don't think is a bad thing. I think that that's, I think it's pretty interesting. I'm ashamed to say that it took me a while to realize, oh, Phantom of the Opera, Phantom of the Paradise, you know, like <laughs> to put the two together. <laughs> like, ah! <laughs> but then once I had it, I was good. Um, but no, uh, I think that it's, I think there's some pretty incredible performances in here. I think it's really funny, really funny performances. I think everybody probably had a lot of fun making this movie. I think there's probably a lot of drugs 
or <laughs> on the set, or at least while it Will's was writing. the seventies. I'm sure. Yeah, there was something going on because I mean, like, there's there's moments in it. But like that that said, I think the creativeness, you know, I think is may have been induced by something. Even though I know, like, they say, like, you know, you can't. You're not as creative when you're on a drug as you are just with your with your uh, sober mind. Um, Travis may not agree. Who says that? (laughs) Beatles were on drugs. Led Zeppelin was on drugs. That's what I've heard anyhow. But uh, I also, I think that um, the technical, uh, the level, like you see it in a lot of De Palma films, like there's like a technical uh, perfection to, to certain shots or to certain scenes that he does. I mean, like with the mirrors, a lot we talk about. Um, there was another one. I lost it. It was there. It was gone where it was just like, man, to pull that off is, is a feat. And I, I think well, you said that for a return to Oz too. Yeah. Yeah. And I, I, I think that, Oh, okay. I know what it was. It was in the beginning. Um, when they like, they go through the beach boys thing or the, the beach boys, the, the beach bums, the beach bums and the, the juicy fruits. They go through all that stuff, and then, um, like, you, you go up to, like, the I guess where the studio or, or is, or the office upstairs, and you can see out through this window, and you can see them moving all the stuff off the set, like, to move in the piano guy, you know, Winslow. And uh, it's, it's the scene um, of the, I guess, the assistant, right, talking to Swan mm-hmm. at that point. But in the background, like Winslow starts playing the piano for real. And like they have to like the assistant has to give this whole monologue and get to a certain point by the time, like, you know, 50 yards away behind glass, you know, out on the stage, the uh, Winslow has to start playing. And just like just the choreography of setting up that that scene, that shot, because it's all one take, you know, they never like. I mean, they do cut to Winslow once he starts playing, but the monologue is all one take, and then it just goes to him playing. He's like, you know, then he points back to him, and like, that's what it's all about. That's the future, or whatever he says. Mm -hmm. And I just think about, like, how do you do that scene? You know, like, how do you set that up? There's a lot of very careful planning to make something like that. Rehearsal. It's almost like like theater. Yeah. Yeah. It's like Uh theater. Yeah. Like live theater. Yeah. yeah. It's like you know that you need to get to this certain point by the time that he starts playing. And maybe he has somebody cueing him, but still, like there's a lot of shit going on in that in the in that background. I mean, it's a big wide shot. And it's not like there's somebody like with, you know, a headset right next to him telling him, Okay, they're to this part, you're gonna start playing now. You know, I mean that's gotta be like his Hitchcock influence, right? Just that I especially with the split screen where you got the people moving the car out just for people to sing on. Then you got the people backstage coming and talking and they're balancing out the sound of the song versus the dialogue. And I'm trying yeah. to think if well, Hitchcock ever did that though. Somebody's going to write in and tell me the example, but I'm like, <laughs> I don't remember Hitchcock doing split screen. Am I? Well, I don't know about split screen. I'm just talking about oh. that. You're, <clears throat> You got something going on, but you got this equal. You know, you got this yeah. also this other thing yeah. going on at the right. same time, and they and they're played out at a yeah. time. You know, they have yeah. to 
It's almost it is live. Yeah, you know, it for, is live. Well, it, am I crazy to think that like something like this could happen? But because like they're in a sound booth when that guy is doing the monologue, but is there a way to like have a speaker to yeah. everyone else on the That's set what I was thinking. so they can hear him yeah, and that like they have to be like the piano needs to be here when he says this mm-hmm. word. You know, like that's yeah. how theater works. Like this is what needs to happen at this word, and it's just a single word you have to listen for. Yeah, yeah. And so that's what Probably. I was thinking. But I mean, it wouldn't interfere with like what's being filmed with him because right. he's, it's he's in a studio or a glass box, basically. Yeah. yeah, that's what I was thinking. I'm sure it was too. I mean, I I'm definitely almost ninety percent positive that's what they were probably doing. But still, I mean, even that, I think to to pull that off throughout, and I think that like the having, I mean, there's a lot of extras and there's big numbers, dance numbers, big songs in this film where there's shit going on, and it's like I said, I mean, it's really fast paced, and it just seems like a whole hell of a lot, and I'm sure there was a lot of ADR works too because you know, I mean, with the songs, they're usually in a studio that's they're rarely seeing it while they're filming it, or at least not using that take of it. But I think that all of that technical stuff and the mirrors, you know, I mean, I could go off, I could write a whole thesis about the Pullman as mirrors, the fucking like, and there is a scene in this one, like Travis, I think you were saying how they get caught in carry in the, the door, like the mirror on the door. And I was looking for it in this one because in the dressing room, the mirror is like pointed right at, or the, the camera's pointed right at the dressing room door and it's like cracked open or something. Mm-hmm. And then they open it all the way, but they open it so quick. I think it's like almost mm-hmm. like a, you know, it's like a, like a, a, like a sweeping motion. So you don't actually see it, but I mean, the camera has to be in that mirror somewhere. Mm-hmm. If you were to go, Wasn't go like a long hallway shot. Or they're or back like, in the dark or yeah. something. Like way back in the, yeah, it was the, a distance from the camera, but like there was it that seems one. like the camera should have been visible in the mirror. Yeah, and that one had to be like the camera's behind a wall or something, because yeah. that was again pointed right at yeah. right at the mirrors, and it's just it's impressive if you've ever had to try and shoot somewhere with mirrors, like or even just windows for that matter. Um, but uh, I think that when you're dealing with De Palma, and I know this was early on in his career, but I think that he's always been technically proficient at least from what i've seen um and this was unlike anything that i've seen from him as far as you know content wise like i've never seen him do a do a comedy let alone a musical comedy (laughs) before so that was i guess it was impressive um and uh i liked it a lot better than repo (laughs) I knew you were going to say not that. that so. Not that I have to compare the two, but you know, like the whole horror music. There's like three horror musicals. Yeah, I mean that's uh, 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 repo. This one and okay, four. 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 Yes, I agree. <laughs> I like Little Shop. <laughs> but yeah, I would. I would definitely recommend it. Um, if you haven't seen it, check it out. Okay. Uh, I did, <laughs> okay. No. Okay. Um. Sorry. <laughs> I did like this movie. Um, the the only argument I have with that is I don't really view this as a musical. I wouldn't put it 
Like, if I was to go rent this movie, I would not look for it in the musical section. Like, as far as genres. Only because, like, I mean, this may be just the way I define musicals, but when I, def- when I think of a musical, it's like a, a movie where not only is there stage songs and everything, but it's like something or a conversation or a moment that could be had in everyday life that turns into a song. And I didn't feel like that really happened. It was all like on a stage or, you know, it was, it's a movie about music production. I agree with that, but I wouldn't classify it as a musical, but that's just my opinion. Um, but I did like it. Um, Colin, I had a question for you. Uh, how, what is the, the gap difference with this movie and Carrie? Two years. It's two years? <clears throat> mm-hmm. Carrie was, I want to say, the next... Wait, no. After this, he did Obsession and then Carrie, I think. Okay. Carrie was the one that made everybody involved, you know, famous. Okay. Well, I was wondering because, like, you know, the, the sequences where there were stabbings... I mean, it obviously just looks like red paint. And then, like, the blood in Carrie looks so much more realistic. So I was just wondering The 70s had this thing with, like, bright red blood. I I know, but, I mean, it just, it it literally looked like paint in this movie. But wanted to show that blood. Shock you. Or shooting in color, damn it. Yeah. I know, I know. I just, like, I was, I didn't think it was that big of a gap, but I just wanted Uh, to, I was just curious. Different recipes. Yeah, but it's the same director, so I was just curious of that. Yeah. But, no, I do like this movie. If you are a fan of Carrie, um, that's the only other movie I'm familiar with that Brian Del Palma has done. But Scarface? He's, that's going to be on his tombstone. I did know that. I did know. You've never seen didn't. Scarface? No, no, I haven't. Man. <laughs> You know what? I Say hello to my little friend. I think Scarface is overrated. <sighs> well, I think I think it's overrated, and I haven't even seen it. Like, I think that's bad. It's a goddamn crime saga. That's right. Uh, okay. Well, it's. I just I. I recommend Scarface. <laughs> I'm sorry. I'm sorry, listeners. I have you. not seen Scarface. Don't hate me. But I mean, this uh, carries the. Uh, only other Brian Del Palma film I'm familiar with. Um, but if you like him and you like his work and if you like Scarface, and I know Brent has a huge appreciation for the way he does, and Colin, I'm sure too, and Travis, the way he does his filmmaking with the mirrors, I'm, I can't even imagine how difficult it would be, but he does that a lot from what I hear. So, um, I would say check it out. And it's a totally different sort of take on what he can do. Like Brent said, it's a, it's a musical-esque, I will say, film. But it's also a comedy, which is different from what he's done in the past. So, yes, I would recommend it. Well, I would recommend it because it's my favorite goddamn movie. Uh, well, I'm are, blown away. This from, is my Rocky like Horror I'm Picture. Still- well, I remember I probably found this. I found this in the horror section of a video store when I was probably like 15 or 16, and it changed my life. Uh, I do. Uh, I mean, 
Okay, it's not a musical in a in a in your in a normal sense, but I mean this this movie uh, does nothing in a normal sense. You know, I mean it's it's such a unique movie, even though there's you know using inspiration from these kind of classic hard tales, just setting in a 1970s like rock opera sort of deal, but. I think, uh, I mean, I've got the soundtrack, and, like, I think the more you listen to the songs, you see, I mean, usually in a musical, a song drives the story forward with, uh, you know, the characters basically singing their inner thoughts, where in this, Winslow Leach already wrote out everybody's inner thoughts, you know, <laughs> and they're just performing it on stage at different practice sessions, or sometimes as just uh, as score, right? Sometimes as score, which makes it more operatic, trying to keep constant music moving, you know? So do you think this is a musical or no? Well, I think it is a musical because okay. it's got, you know, it's not necessarily, it's, I mean, it's not a musical in the sense that they they had to write something that was performed live, then adapt it to a movie, you know, I mean... They could go outside the wall and in who's doing the singing and and what's doing what just because it's a movie anyway. They can use some of the song as score and uh, not necessarily have the characters. They don't just burst out singing, but they're always in a like a club type setting where they get to sing, you know. And sometimes they you know repeat songs just for like I said the score or. Uh, but everything is about, I mean, especially dealing with a such a low budget. I mean, everything looks iconic. I mean, just the the bird mask and his uh, black leather freaking. I mean, this is before Hellraiser. It's before. I mean, just this black leather clad dude in a kick ass black cape, which is sometimes silver lined and sometimes uh red lined or sometimes just all red right it wasn't even lined so no explanation on why the cape changes but uh <laughs> uh i didn't even notice yeah well i mean i've seen this a lot and tonight well, I, I was really know. like wait a second <laughs> i'm sure you would if you've seen it 800 yeah, well, times well, i'm always extremely high when i see this movie so sometimes the silver red don't you know I just go with the... I'm always looking at his face. I'm never looking at the cape. I'm looking at his face. I mean, yeah. this is probably what they intended, right? Having a big bird beat silver mask on. You're looking at him. You ain't looking at the cape. I'm sure someone lost it. Well, that's you know, what I was saying. Lost like, the I died. fucking cape. What? <laughs> Motherfucker. Just put a red one on. Nobody will know. Well, even the... The uh, radio booth he records in, that, that weird oval. You know, you got nothing but black. And you just have an oval of light that is all the weird recording shit, and you see, like, green shit carpet or whatever. But just even that image is like, Jesus, that's awesome, you know? I'm sure, I think there's something in the auto commentary about how excited Brian De Palma was when they found that location or something. Something like some brand new state-of-the-art, like, one of the first, like, digital, like, all digital studios or something like that. Uh, I'd have to listen to the commentary to remind me, but, uh, and, uh, I mean, yeah, whatever. I, I totally recommend this movie to everybody. I love showing this movie. We just showed this, uh, like a few weeks ago, we showed this 
on a projection outside and we, my, my buddy's like one of his musician friends has never seen this movie. So we got to show Like if you show this movie to anybody that even likes music, they're going to fucking like it, you know? And anybody that likes weird cult movies, uh, that are just about, I mean, color, dude, it's always about color, fucking reds and greens and blues and, you know, really simple color. But I mean, all the color on this is so bright. Um, yeah, it's just a great movie. That was another thing I forgot to mention. The music is really good in it. I did enjoy it. But my question is now Travis excluded because he's listened to the mu- the the album over and over again. Is there a song that stood out? You remember a title of a song or a refrain from a song? It's like, what's your favorite song? <clears throat> what was the one that played at the end? Yeah. The end melody was stuck in my head for... That's that's how they get you, right? A good hour. After. <laughs> yeah. Well, maybe not an hour, but it was doop, in doop, there for. Doop, a, doop, 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 yeah, doop, that yeah. was in my head for a good half hour doop, after we doop, got done watching doop. the movie. Like even at the beginning of the podcast, I was still thinking. Now about that, that you mentioned that, dude, like I don't even. I'd have to look this up. But sometimes I think that song's about Karen Carpenter because the lyrics are like, um. God damn it, I'm going to get stumped now on it. It's like, roll on thunder, shine on lightning, days are long and the nights are frightening, we're all born to die, you know, and that's the hell of it. Where it's like, good for nothing, you bad in bed, nobody liked you and you're better off dead, goodbye, goodbye, we've all come to say goodbye, goodbye. It says, uh, super destructive, you were hooked on pain, and though though your music lingers on, all of us are glad you're gone. And I just always heard a lot of people had a lot of problems with Karen Carpenter's addictions and shit like that. Like she caused a lot of trouble for a lot of people. I don't know if that's true. <laughs> this is just it's something I have to research. It's just listening to that song. Like, who's he talking about? He's talking about somebody in the music. Paul Williams was in the fucking music industry. And this whole song is just about how somebody just caused, you know, bullshit for everybody with their addiction and <laughs> it's, gl- you know, we're glad they're dead and, you know. But hey, that's why we don't use last names, right? That's so funny. <clears throat> well, yeah, this is a movie that's improved in its stature every time that I watch it. I think the very first time that I saw it, you know, was back in the VHS days and it didn't impress me as much as it does. The best days. <laughs> the VHS days. It's an inferior format. Anyway, <clears throat> um, apparently nobody saw this movie when it first came out either. It uh, didn't do very well in the United States, but uh, to all of our Canadian friends who are listening, apparently The Phantom of the Paradise did crazy well in Canada, so that to this day, well, and France, in Winnipeg. They have like a, they run Phantom of the Paradise like the Rocky Horror Picture, you know, midnight Good movie people show. up there. Yeah, and in France, yeah, it was a big deal. Yeah, big deal. That's like the first place this came out on Blu-ray. Yeah, you know. Well, that's part this of is a new Blu-ray here in America, and this is out on Blu-ray like I'm fucking ten years this ago. I'm shocked. On Blu-ray, I'm shocked. Honestly, it was a five dollar DVD for a long time. Yeah, <laughs> I, I am shocked when it came to Century Blu-ray Fox too. Had the DVD out, but it was like, you know, I mean, it was obscure like you couldn't get it 
for so long that it's one of those movies that, you know, kind of was in danger of falling through the cracks. And, and you have the collector's well, edition. thanks to the folks at Shout Factory, they actually rescued this movie from obscurity and have put it back out. I mean, I think there's also the, uh, the you know, if Paul Williams' star has diminished in the years following this, uh, Brian De Palma also. But, I mean, you know, it's like if you go back and you're looking at their... Uh, filmography, you know, now it's like you can actually see this uh, quirky little movie that they did like early on in their career. Um, I think it's a, <clears throat> I mean, I call it a musical, but it's one of those musicals where uh, it doesn't play by the rules of everybody has to break out in a song and express what they're thinking it, you know, or at any given time. And that's usually what we associate with the concept of a musical, right? Um, but this one is like, I think, you know, Brent said that it speeds along. feels like it's got a quick pace. It's because we stop so often to hear musical numbers. So there's not a whole lot of, you know, plot and story. It's there. But, I mean, it's there's it's devoting time for five or six, you know, full, like, music numbers, you know. So I'd say it's a musical. But uh, my only, you know, it's like, and again, I'm grouping this in, you know, a, a category of select few horror movie musicals. I mean, I'm a horror fan, so those are the type of musicals that I'm drawn to. So you've got Rocky Horror Picture Show, Phantom of the Paradise, I'm going to say Little, Little Shop, Shop of Horrors, Horrors yeah. and Repo, <laughs> the Genetic Opera. I know there's other ones out there. At one point, I saw a Dracula musical. I know Young Frankenstein's a musical. Whatever, in movies. I'm going to say those are the four I'm the most familiar with. So I say, like, well, what's the best one in Repo? I think, you know, I mean, I, I like I like the best. But, uh, you know, from this age, it's like, why did the Phantom of the Paradise not become what the Rocky Horror Picture Show became? You know, it's like, how come you couldn't swap those two movies? Because that would be fine with me, I guess, you know, if that happened. Except Rocky Horror has, like, you know, the time warp and... You know, I mean, it's like it's got these I, songs that you remember, whereas Phantom is like when you're watching, it's like this is really good music. But when it's over, it's like I can't remember the individual. I don't remember the you know specific, I guess, choruses, you know, refrains from it. So that's kind of I'm not saying that that's a, a slight against the movie, but I think it gives it a disadvantage as far as being memorable for it's like that's the one that's got, you know, that song, Let It Go in it. That song, Let It Go, is from, you know, that movie, right? You know, that kind yeah. of thing. Well, I think <clears throat> that, too, is, I mean, this is just a movie, whereas Rocky Horror, I mean, that's that's a musical that's done on Broadway. It's done, I mean, even, yeah. not, well, maybe not so much on Broadway anymore, but people, like, recreate this musical all the time, and it used to be, I mean... That's years, what I'm saying. But the Canadians do that ago. now. They do you the know, shadow play this. with uh, Phantom. Oh, they do the midnight oh, they thing. Do? With, yeah, in Winnipeg, Canada. I guess oh. this is a this is their Rocky Horror Picture Show. Oh, really? Because they were the only people who appreciated this on its oh, original release and have kept it alive or something like that. I missed I that. According I must to have Wikipedia, been I'm sorry. <clears throat> also, so, huh? so I'll go. Yeah, We're going to Canada. Yeah. I don't know. I mean, uh, I just think it's uh, it's a it's a really cool you know movie. Uh, you know, watching it tonight. I mean, I think like like I said, every time that I watch it, it seems to get better. This was the best viewing of this movie that I've had in my life. Right? I mean, I liked it the last time, but it was like somehow it was more alive this time. It moved faster. Everything fit together even better. You know, it's like I've always had an affinity for it. I think because of its subject matter. 
Um, but I mean, it's definitely. I'm telling you, in ten years, you're gonna start to hate Phoenix. <laughs> I, I, no, it I, never I, bugged I, me when I, I was totally a understand. kid watching this. I but then, like, the like I said, in the past I, ten years, I'm like this bitch. Yeah, but I mean, but that's I think because if you if you associate with Winslow, and you're like, you know. Phoenix is the, you know, object of affection, and then she, you know, is doing all this stuff without... She doesn't know that he's alive, or, you know, what his That's feelings what are towards her. That's what I took from it, as a first-time viewer. So she's trying to, you know, pursue her own path. All I was trying to say is that the more you watch this, the more you get out of... Oh, you I'm know, sure, I don't I'm know, sure man. your perception I like, changes I like me some Jessica Harper. It. I'm sure that's true. Jessica Harper, Appreciation Society. Starts here. okay. There's two movies. Um, <laughs> did this get her the job in Suspiria? It very well could have. All right, so uh, yeah, I'm just gonna be recommendation. That's the Phantom of the Paradise on the Saturday Night Freak Show. As always, you get a hold of us, Facebook.com/slash Saturday Night Freak Show. Tell us what you thought of the Phantom of the Paradise. And next week, we're gonna be watching Jenny's pick of Clue of Clue. Next the fuck week. is Hook. <laughs> Jesus. Uh, keep talking about Hook, then choose another fucking movie. It's Hook Blue Balls. Until then, it's Am Clue I? on the next Saturday Night Freak Show. And until then, ladies and gentlemen, the basement is going dark. <laughs>